So I thought we'd have a look this morning at a question which is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian, which is, what does it mean to love Jesus? What does it mean for us to say that we love Jesus? Now, we talk all the time about loving Jesus, don't we? We uh, sing in our worship songs about it and uh, many other times. What does it actually mean? If we Google the definition of love, it will say something like an intense feeling of deep affection. We talk about loving a person or an activity or even I'd love a cup of tea. And we talk about falling in love or falling out of love. And then, of course, love has also become another way of talking about sex. We talk about making love, with or without any feelings, let alone any permanent commitment going with it. But let's just come back to that first dictionary meaning. An intense feeling of deep affection. As Christians, is that what God wants from us? Is that what he's asking for from us? An intense feeling of deep affection for him, Or is it maybe something more? There was an article in Psychology Today under the headline, How Do You Define Love? And it said, be aware of assuming that when you use the word love, you mean the same thing as when someone else uses it. Because people define it differently and use it in more than one sense. I love my husband. I love my sister. I love my dog. I love my career. I love warm evenings, and so on. But when we talk about loving Jesus as Christians, we're less interested in what the Oxford Dictionary thinks it means, or Google thinks it means, or Psychology Today thinks it means. Rather, we're interested in what God thinks it means. And of course, the place where we go to try to figure that out is the Bible. And what the biblical writers who first wrote these words and the people they wrote them for would have thought that it means, so far as we can tell today. So in Mark chapter 12 in the New Testament, Jesus is asked a question by one of the religious leaders. Of all the commandments in the law of Moses, which is the most important? Now bear in mind that according to the rabbis, there were 613 of them not just the famous ten that most people have heard of. So there were plenty for Jesus to choose from. And Jesus replies, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So it's pretty clear that, so far as Jesus was concerned, above and beyond any other issue, above anything else that God asked of us, from his point of view, the number one priority on his list is that we love him. So what does that look like? Is it just this intense feeling of deep affection, as the dictionary wants to tell us? Is that all we need, or is it maybe something more? Now, one reason why it's so important that we do know the answer to that is because the most foundational truth in the Christian faith is what it says in 1 John 4. God is love. In other words, love defines who God is. And equally, 
If God is love, then who God is defines what love is as well. So it's important that we get our understanding of love in line with his understanding of love. So that when we read about love in the Bible, we know what it means. And when we think about God loving us, we know what it means. And what the kind of love that he wants us to have for him looks like in return. Okay, so what I'd like to do this morning is to suggest five things that we can ask ourselves, five things we can put on a personal checklist of what it means for you and me to love Jesus. So here's number one. We love him because he first loved us. That's a a straight quote from the Bible, 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. In other words, the very first point that we have to grasp, because everything else is going to flow from that, is that he started it. The starting point for us loving him is to truly understand how much he loves us, how unconditional that love is, how we have done nothing whatsoever to earn it or to be worthy of it. And surprising though this sounds, that we can never do anything that will ever stop him loving us. You see, God doesn't just love us for a certain period of time to see whether we respond to him and then get angry and give up on us if we don't. People do that, but God doesn't. Even if we don't want to love him in return, he still loves us unconditionally. And that is called grace. Unearned and undeserved. That hymn that John Newton wrote called it Amazing Grace, because it is. Now, at the same time, of course, that doesn't mean that God is totally cool with anything and everything that we choose to do. That is a a different point entirely. But the way that he comes at it is in relational terms, not in crime and punishment terms. It says in uh, Ephesians 4 that we should not grieve the Holy Spirit. One version of that says, don't bring sorrow to him by the way that you live. Another one says, don't break his heart. How much more likely is it that we will want to live the way that he wants us to live, that we want to live righteously in ways that don't grieve him and don't break his heart, when we're doing it because we know how much he loves us? when we're doing it because we want him to be proud of us, just like a child wants to please their parent and for them to be proud of them as well. And that's also why, of course, when we do mess up, that we are convicted and we want to change, not just because we're afraid of being punished, but because we believe and we've experienced for ourselves that what it says in Romans 2.4 is true that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We want to know his forgiveness because we're sorry that we've let him down. So the starting point for loving God, point number one above all others, is for us to totally get it how very much he loves us. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So point number one, if we're going to love Jesus, we first have to be convinced of that as well. Number two, loving Jesus means loving the things that Jesus loves. Now for love between two people to really work, we need to have things in common. And whether things that God loves and the things that we love are not in alignment, then we need to be the one who's willing to change. Micah 6.8 from the Old Testament. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The things that are important to him need to increasingly become the things that are important to us. Wanting to see justice and mercy for people. People who do justice and mercy for others. And being humble in how we relate to him. In the New Testament, in Galatians 5, there's a list of the kind of fruit that our lives will be producing if we're surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And think of it like a a tree in an orchard where you can tell what kind of tree it is. You know what family that tree belongs to from the fruit that you can see on it. It says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And another way of saying this is that We want to be like Jesus in this world because that's what Jesus was like. We want to be imitators of him. And although we could write a long list of all of Jesus' wonderful qualities, let me just suggest one that he himself saw as particularly important. It's in Matthew 20. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's one very simple test of whether we've grasped what it means to want to be like Jesus and what it means to live in a way that shows how much we love Jesus. Am I living to serve or am I living to be served? Where does being a servant come on my list of priorities in life? Now in New Testament times, paying a ransom usually meant paying off someone's debts to release them out of slavery. And and that's because the reason that most people ended up in slavery in the first place was because they couldn't pay their debts. So they ended up selling themselves. So copying Jesus and giving our life as a ransom means doing something that is costly for us personally, paying a price for others. Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. This is what greatness in the kingdom looks like to Jesus. Completely the opposite way around to the world. And I'm afraid sometimes in the church as well. So point number two, if we're going to love Jesus, we need to love the things he loves, including being a servant. Number three, loving Jesus is a doing word not just a feeling word. Now here is where we begin to part company with that dictionary definition that wants to tell us that love is just an intense feeling of deep affection. 
Now, there's no reason it can't be that as well, of course. In fact, it's wonderful when it is that as well. But that is not fundamentally what love is. It's not a feeling and it's not even a belief. Love is what happens in practice as a result of what we feel and what we believe. The book of James in the New Testament was written by the half-brother of Jesus, same mum, different dad. So you'd kind of expect that he would get this right. And James said this, What good does it do if you say you have faith but don't do things that prove you have faith? Can that kind of faith save you? A faith that does not do things is a dead faith. Someone may say, you have faith and I do things. Prove to me that you have faith when you're doing nothing. I will prove to you I have faith by doing things. So in other words, there's no point in us saying that we love God and we love God's people and we love his church and we're committed to his kingdom, but then doing nothing about it. Now, someone may say this morning, um, I don't agree with this uh, James bloke. Um, Who does he think he is? What does he know? We're not saved by what we do. Hasn't he ever heard that Christian catchphrase? God made us to be human beings, not human doings. Now, if you've ever thought, well, yeah, yeah, that sounds, that sounds right. Uh, it's all about just being and not doing. Actually, you're in quite good company. Um, no less a person than Martin Luther tried to get the book of James thrown out of the New Testament. Uh, and a few others he didn't like as well, like Hebrews and Revelation. But that is not what James is saying. We don't do things so that God will save us. We do things because we are so grateful that he has saved us. We do things because we want to be part of his vision for his world. We do things because we want to play for his team. So number three, love is a doing word, not just a feeling word. Number four, remember that there are two bits to that one great commandment. Have you ever wondered why, in that passage that we looked at earlier, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, singular, and the the person who asked him was clearly looking for just one, have you ever wondered why Jesus decided to answer with two? The most important commandment is this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. He could have just stopped there, couldn't he? But he didn't. The second, he said, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these two. So Jesus is saying that from his point of view, he sees them as the same thing. So we shouldn't try to separate them. We shouldn't think that we can be doing the first one if we're not doing the second one as well. Loving God is loving people, and loving people is loving God. And notice here how Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, which means love our neighbor the same way that we love ourselves, not just with what's left over after we've finished loving ourselves. Another one of uh, Jesus' disciples called John, in the, the book of the Bible we call one John, he said this, Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they've not seen. 
good, sound Jewish common sense logic. You can imagine what John would say and James would say and Paul would say and not least what Jesus himself would say to anyone who thinks that loving God is only to do with having an intense feeling of affection deep down inside. And and talking of what Jesus would say, let's have a, a quick look at something that he actually did say in Matthew 25. And this, I suggest, is in Jesus' own words, how he defines what it looks like to love Jesus. Now, he's talking here about uh, when he comes again, when he will separate out the sheep from the goats. It's it's quite a well-known passage. That's a well-known saying that many people will have heard of. But when we read this passage, we may be surprised when we see what Jesus was actually talking about when he said that, and who the sheep are and who the goats are. So let's read it together. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And that's because at that time, sheep and goats generally were in the same flock together, so you'd only separate them when the time came. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. That's normally where we stop reading. So far, so good. Isn't that great? And I'm sure that we already know that we must be the sheep in this passage. But let's wait for the next bit. This is Jesus again. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, the sheep will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Now, I wonder if I'd be pushing the point here too far if I was to just paraphrase what Jesus said. When I was hungry, you were part of the kitchen team serving me lunch. And you gave me a food parcel on the Saturday storehouse team. I was thirsty, and you served me on the hospitality team. I was a stranger, and you were on the car park team standing in the cold and rain to welcome me. You showed me round as part of the welcome team. I was a child and you looked after me when you were on the Vineyard Kids team. And when I was sick, you stayed at the end of the service rather than rushing away to pray for me in the ministry team. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Isn't that exciting? How fantastic that he gives us that opportunity He invites us to be on his team, to be directly involved in what he's wanting to do in this world through his body, the church. So number four, remember that there are two bits to this one great commandment. Loving God is loving people, and loving people is loving God. Serving God is serving people, and serving people is serving God. And then finally, number five, If you love me, you will keep my commands. 
This is also a direct quote from Jesus in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And what I think that Jesus meant by this is explained in something else he said in Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Or as the uh, message version puts it, why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing, I tell you. You see, people who love Jesus are people who don't just find what he says interesting in an advisory capacity, but people who love Jesus want to do what he says in a lordship capacity. They want to obey the inconvenient commands, not just the nice, comfortable commands. The difference between saying, Jesus is Lord of my life, and Jesus actually being Lord of my life, is determined by one thing and one thing only. Am I someone who does what Jesus says? I was thinking this morning it would be a great thing to do sometime to, or maybe actually maybe it would be a scary thing to do, I'll let you judge that, but to read through the Gospels and underline everything that Jesus told us to do. Because we do need to know what the Bible says, don't we, if we want to know what Jesus is saying to us. Words and pictures and worship songs are great, but they're not enough. Unless we know the Bible as well, we're not in a position to judge the words and pictures and whatever we think he may be saying. Now, it's easy to picture this particular verse with an angry kind of Jesus wagging a finger at his disciples and saying it like this, if you love me, you will keep my commands in a threatening kind of way. That's my stern, angry voice, by the way. If you love me, then you jolly well ought to keep my commands with an angry face emoji. (laughs) But there's every possibility that Jesus didn't actually mean it that way at all. That what he actually had in mind was not a threat, but a promise. If you love me, you will keep my commands with a happy face emoji. In other words, if you focus on loving me, on really, really loving me, then the fruit of that, the inevitable fruit of that, the byproduct of that will be that you end up keeping my commands. It will become second nature. And of course, that is not loving Jesus just as an intense feeling of deep affection. It's loving him in all of the ways that we've been talking about this morning. So to finish, let's have a a quick look at these five points. And as we go through them, why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to show you whether you're loving Jesus in all of these ways. And if he gently shows you that actually you're not, then why don't you gently agree with him that you want to and that you've decided to do something about it, to act on what he's saying starting today. Tell him that you want this to be a saying yes to Jesus moment. And just remember that No one can pray with us to make it happen. This is something that we have to decide for ourselves that we're going to do. It's a decision of our will, not something that God can do to us or for us. Okay, so here's our checklist for what it means to love Jesus. 
Number one, we love him because he first loved us. It all starts with us being totally persuaded that he first loved us, that he started it. It wasn't the great commandment to love the Lord your God that came first. It was him loving us that came first. And he keeps on loving us because we can never do anything that will ever stop him. He doesn't just love us for a period of time to see whether we respond and drop us if we don't. Number two, loving Jesus means loving the things that Jesus loves. The things that are important to him need to increasingly become the things that are important to us. Justice and mercy and kindness and becoming more and more like Jesus, thinking and speaking and giving the way Jesus did. The Jesus who said he didn't come to be served, he came to serve and who encouraged us to become the servant of all. Number three, loving Jesus is a doing word, not just a feeling word. It's not just an intense feeling of deep affection. There's no reason it can't be that as well, of course. In fact, it's wonderful when it is that as well. But that isn't actually what love is. Love is the stuff that happens in practice as a result of what we feel and what we believe. Number four, remember that there are two bits to that one great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus could have stopped there, but he didn't. The second one he said is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Because when we're loving and serving and giving to people, we are loving and serving and giving to Jesus. And then finally, number five, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not as a finger-wagging threat to scare us, but as a promise to encourage us. It will become second nature. So what do you say? How do you feel you match up to this checklist? What does loving Jesus in your life for you look like right now? Let me challenge you this morning to make a personal decision that never again will I let myself think that loving Jesus is all about just having a feeling of deep affection in my heart. Google was wrong. Feelings of affection are great, especially intense ones. We, we don't knock that. But loving Jesus is actually about loving him intensely in all of the ways that we've talked about this morning as well.